I will work day in and day out, wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future's possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Sebastian Salek, who is looking to be Labour's candidate for Gloucester at the next general election. Welcome to the podcast, Sebastian. Thanks very much, Will. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. It's a, it's a bit of a, a, a grim morning here. I hope it's uh, uh, <laughs> looking a bit better where you are. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't say it's looking slightly overcast, but we power on nonetheless, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, the first question I'd like to ask is, what made you want to put your name forward as a, poten- a potential uh, PPC for Labour for Gloucester? That's a really good question. And um, I think for a lot of people, it's always been on the cards for them. It's something they've always wanted to do. For me, politics was never really part of the plan. Um, But what we've seen over the last 12 years is a complete unravelling of of the social contract. I mean, if you think back to the last Labour government, there was this unspoken deal. Whoever you are, if you show up, you work hard, you have a decent life. And and we've just seen that completely unravel under the Conservatives. Um, and, and I know people in Gloucester feel that if you're working for a pay packet that gets you less and less each month, you might be a young person who's hoping to own their own home where they grew up. And that's just looking increasingly distant. You may have retired only to be worrying about the heating bills. This really is something that impacts everybody. Um, so it's becoming increasingly important that those of us who who feel like we can uh, throw our hats into the ring and get involved fight for that to be to be restored um i mean it's, it's not something i ever thought i'd be doing if you told me 10 years ago you'd be standing to be a, a labor candidate I, I i'd have laughed uh, mm-hmm. my aspiration was always to be a journalist and mm-hmm. i was for many years and and we can get into that but um ultimately i had to cut that short because this just seemed far more urgent and far more important mm-hmm. and, and, and on that um point your career as a journalist i mean what was it that made you want to become a journalist what, what what sort of like prompted it was there a particular area of journalism that you always wanted to get into to pursue what, what, what sort of drove you in that direction so I studied law at university and I think what was particularly interesting about that to me was just how relevant it was every time I opened up uh, the BBC News website as a student there was something that was relevant to my degree uh, and that really got me interested in current affairs and from there journalism was was quite an obvious next step and it wasn't an easy industry to get into I didn't have the family contacts and it's famously opaque takes loads of people from private school if you can afford to do a master's in journalism even better so that was a real uphill battle having to go in do unpaid internships and all those things that we need to fix within within the industry um also being you know not not your typical um you know white Mm -hmm. wealthy uh, entrant into the industry was w- w- was tricky but um it's ultimately about doing a job where um you have a responsibility you're keeping people informed and i think during the pandemic we particularly saw the value of that and i was really uh grateful to be working as a journalist during the pandemic because all of a sudden knowledge was an absolute premium there was so much disinformation flying around and it was really important fast moving stuff that we had to be on top of for the sake of our own uh, well-being uh, but the problem was, as I was reporting on the general decline uh, under the Conservatives, 
uh, I was also doing community work. So I was going to work every day. I was talking about, uh, you know, on the TV and on the radio about how how things were getting worse and worse and worse. Obviously, I had to be nonpartisan, so I couldn't quite say it in those terms. Um, but then I was out in my communities in the evenings and the weekends, and I was le- I was seeing the real impact of all of this. Um, and ultimately, I came to the decision that I had to cut that career that I'd always wanted short uh, <laughs> and go out there and really focus uh, my working life on helping other people get by. And it's a, it's a really sad state of affairs that people need help so much, but that's where we've got to after 12 years of the Conservatives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as a, as a journalist, were there any particular stories that you covered that you feel have stayed with you, and that that you feel perhaps in, in, inspire you as going forward, um, trying to be a Labour candidate? I mean, I think having the opportunity to cover to cover Brexit was really interesting, mm-hmm. um, just because I had the incredible opportunity to interview so many people and so many politicians. And what was really clear was how many politicians, um, particularly those uh, who were from the Conservatives, who just didn't know what they were arguing for. Um, And I got a real flavour of the calibre of politician that we have in that party. Mm -hmm. And they've been in power for 12 years. They're making decisions that affect all of us. Um, And that made me really frustrated. So, So part of the motivation to stand is, okay, let's go in here. Um, hopefully I've got, got something between the ears. I can make a valid contribution. Uh, I can fight for people who really need uh, need that help, need that support, mm-hmm. uh, rather than fighting ideological battles, which I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of Tories have spent a lot of time doing. And frankly, it's been a waste of time for many people. Um, so it's, it's really about using my background, using my experience to stand up for people who really need it. Uh, and as I say, it's, it's sad that those people are getting more and more in their number, particularly in Gloucester. You look at people uh, from all walks of life who never thought that they'd be affected by politics, that who now are maybe having to turn to food or heat banks. And it, it's a travesty that we're even talking about heat banks existing now, mm. um, who never thought that they would, they would be in that situation. Um, so it's really from a place of frustration and anger to a degree. But um, no, I just hope that, I, I hope that the people of Gloucester will We'll see that uh, and, and will give me the honour of, uh, of fighting on their behalf in Westminster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, I know that you've also um, served as local um, councillor and you've helped out with um, local elections uh, for, for, for Labour. Mm. What kind of experience has that given you and what, what sort of a, a feel do you have of how you'd be able to, to successfully campaign for Labour at the next election as a as a potential Labour MP? Yeah, I think this is really, really important. And I'm glad you asked this, because if you think about the situation in Gloucester, uh, we can win. We can get a Labour MP for Gloucester. We've had the highest lead in the polls nationally since 1997. But at the same time, there is absolutely no room for mistakes. We can't take this opportunity for granted. Um, and what Labour members in Gloucester need to do is select a very experienced candidate who can get in, hit the ground running, convince first of all Labour members to get out there to get active to get campaigning because we are only as good as our people Mm -hmm. Um, and then take that fight to the Tories and win at the general election Um, so as you say yes I have four elections I've got a track record of winning uh, and what that means is 
building campaign teams, raising funds, persuading voters to turn out. And all of those are individual skills that you shouldn't be doing for the first time as a, as a parliamentary candidate. You really need to have done that successfully before um, because it's difficult. You've got to you've got to inspire people to get out there on the doorstep. And when I was campaigning um, in London, for example, it was about bringing people from across the city, not just people who who live next door. Mm. Um, and to do that, you have to tell a really compelling story about why you're standing and what you want to achieve to, to get them to give up whatever else they're doing on their Saturday morning to travel across the city and knock on doors and talk to strangers. Mm -hmm. It's a really bizarre thing we do as a party, but it's so important. Um, and you have to be able to energize people and light a fire in them to get them to turn out. And that's exactly what I want to do in Gloucester. And then you've got to raise funds. I mean, these, mm -hmm. these campaigns aren't cheap. If we want to change people's lives, we've got to be able to send out leaflets. We've got to be able to fight the, the air war, you know, doing things on, on, on social media and targeting people, which historically we've been really bad at. Um, so it's about raising the money to be able to do that. Um, and then, yeah, as, as, as I say, digital historically it's something we don't really do much of in the Labour Party and we've seen how much we've been outrun by the Tories on this issue and the effect it's had at the ballot box. Um, this is something I do for a living. I help organisations think about how they present themselves online, think about how they manage their social media um, and it's something that, that, that Gloucester Labour and Labour more generally really needs to be seizing so we can target the right people. We're not just knocking on doors, we're catching people where they are and that is frankly in the news feed of their various apps mm -hmm. and targeting tailored messages to them that they will relate to and that will inspire them to turn out at the ballot box mm -hmm. absolutely um i'd like to now turn to um what you see as your main priorities going forward um on, on your website you can obviously um see them but just for the um benefit of the of the listeners could you just explain what what your main priorities are going forward as, as a candidate sure so the, there are four things that i think are really important for gloucester and lots of them people will recognize as things that they need in their own communities as well wherever they live across the country um but but i think they're also particularly relevant to people in gloucester um and the first is a fair wage for everybody. Gloucester is a, is, is a low wage economy. People just simply aren't paid enough. You also have a very big public sector. We have the county council, we have the Gloucestershire Royal Hospital, the University of Gloucestershire, the Gloucestershire Constabulary, and people who work there, uh, which is a big, big part of the workforce in Gloucester, are very vulnerable to pay freezes. They're, they're seeing real term pay cuts. And thankfully, our unions are, are fighting for them at the moment, but it's really, really tough. Um, and in this environment, I'm really worried that people are seeing the cost of living outstripping their pay every month. They're worse and worse off in real terms. Uh, so, so as the candidate, what I want to do is campaign with unions, be a strong voice for public sector pay. Uh, but it goes beyond the public sector as well. It's really about everybody. We need a minimum wage linked to the cost of living so that people aren't uh, punished by soaring inflation, particularly those who are who are earning the least. Uh, so that's one thing I want to do. The other is around genuinely affordable homes. I mean, in Gloucester, we're in desperate need of more social housing. At the moment, what we're doing, or what the council is doing, rather, is uh, in social housing benefits, paying lots of money to tackle homelessness. Nobody wants to be claiming social housing benefits. Nobody wants to be homeless. It's really expensive as a problem to fix. So we need to go to the root cause and build more social housing. So that's a huge thing I want to campaign for. 
in in Gloucester. And similarly, private rent. It's an absolute nightmare. Those of us who've rented privately know how much we get shafted by landlords. Um, so I want to fix no-fault evictions. I want to ban no-fault evictions. It's something that the government has been dilly-dallying with for so long. Uh, we, we need those to be illegal. We need mm -hmm. people not to be able to throw be thrown out of their own homes for no good reason. Um, being punished for complaining or for requesting a repair or just because the landlord thinks they can get higher rent from somewhere else uh, and, and we need to go further on on tenants rights as well um then the third thing I'm, I'm i'm looking at is a city fit for the future i mean if you think about the way that the high street has changed particularly in gloucester if you take a walk around the city center mm -hmm. you will just be struck by the incredible potential there and it is being held back by the Tories, both at a local level and in Westminster. So I want to support innovative businesses, social enterprises, cooperatives as a, as a proud cooperator and a cooperative councillor, take over those empty shops, bring back a buzz to the, to the city centre. Uh, we need to give them access to capital. We need to support entrepreneurs uh, and we need to fill those empty shops with, with sustainable businesses that are owned by local people and local organisations uh, that aren't just going to funnel off money and dodge tax and uh, see that money go to some some island in the Caribbean somewhere, some tax haven. Um, and then fourthly, it's about a Green New Deal. I mean, I think we all need to be thinking about green issues, but particularly in Gloucester. We sit on the River Severn. The homes close to the river are at risk of flooding. Climate scientists are expecting this to get much, much worse over the coming years, of course, with large amounts of the city could be underwater in 30 years. So there is a serious, serious risk here and we have to take action. Uh, so I want to see Gloucester become a climate neutral city. I want to see all electric buses and taxis. We need to make buildings and workplaces more efficient. We need better cycleways. Ultimately, we have to help people to make fewer short car journeys and reduce their emissions. We can't just ask people to do that. We have to give them the solutions and the ways of doing that. Uh, and, and part of that is by making uh, public transport easier to access and, uh, and, and more affordable, uh, and also creating better infrastructure to walk and cycle. Gloucester, again, has so much potential to become a beautifully walkable and, and cyclable city, uh, but the infrastructure just isn't there yet. So that's mm -hmm. a huge thing we need to think about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, I'd like to take these um, one at a time, starting with um, a fairer wage for everyone. In, in terms of wages, obviously, this is mm. something that um, is, is greatly influenced by collective Westminster politics. So uh, w what do you think that you could do specifically were you to become an MP to um, act on behalf of, of other people of Gloucester in this way? Would it would it merely be um, drawing attention to this issue or do you think that there would be in, in some sort of like legislation that you would like to put forward? How, how would you how would you do it? So, yeah, I think there are two things to do. One, one is about linking minimum wage to the cost of living. And what we're talking about essentially is the, the real living wage, which is what the, the, the Living Wage Foundation sets. Um, and the government has muddled the language. here. It, it's about making sure that uh, inflation is taken into account when setting the minimum wage. And that's something that I would campaign for uh, in, in Westminster, because, I mean, 10 percent inflation at the moment. We're at a 40 year high. We're all earning less and less in real terms. Uh, every month as a result of this soaring inflation and people who are earning the least are the ones who are suffering the most as a result of that uh, and, and I don't want to see them punished because of this 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 is not something that that they created and and therefore they don't deserve to 
to to suffer as a result of it. Uh, but more broadly, and particularly in Gloucester, it's about campaigning with unions. Um, I mean, for example, I think Unison and, and GMB and others in the Southwest are, uh, are fighting campaigns on council pay and on school uh, staff pay. And that's something that's very close to my heart. My mum was a, a teaching assistant for many years and I saw how hard she worked and what an impact she had on, on children, but also how, how underappreciated that was a lot of the time, um, but also council staff. And as I say, a lot of this is, um, is it, this pay is set by other bodies. Uh, and so we need a really strong voice. And I think those unions need voices in Westminster and voices on the ground in Gloucester who can amplify and help them fight that good fight um, so we can ensure that people aren't losing out in what are already really, really tough times that frankly, sadly, are probably going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, t- taking the 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 second point, the second pledge, uh, in regards to affordable homes, how many um affordable homes do you think need to be built in Gloucester? Do you, do you have an an idea as to a particular set amount, a set figure, or do or or do you simply think that it it needs to be in regards to demand and um assessing the 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 scale of demand can then be put into practice with um completing that by by building the homes that are needed yeah i mean let, let me give you the context here i think what's happened is that once there was a, a relatively good council house stock in in gloucester mm-hmm. um that has absolutely dwindled as right to buy has taken effect the problem is as those houses have been put out by their tenants they've not been replaced mm-hmm. so we've seen the the stock decrease and decrease uh you now have about five thousand people on the council house waiting list and they're going to be living in whatever situation they're in uh which is a really uh really difficult situation for many of them um and and that is creating extra costs as i say none of those people want to be living in the situation they're in none of them want to be claiming housing benefit which is also very expensive for the taxpayer so actually it is the sensible economic thing to do to build more council housing to deal with that 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 problem uh it will be cheaper for the taxpayer in the long run and it will also be much better for for those people who get those homes to live in quality sustainable accommodation uh rather than their current setup Mm -hmm. in regards to um reviving gloucester's city center what sort of focus do you want to put on whether they should be bringing in uh, businesses from outside Gloucestershire, encouraging them to come in and to contribute to the city centre? Or do you think that it's better to have more of an emphasis on supporting local grown businesses, local cooperatives, helping them get a a, a foot in the, in the city centre marketplace, perhaps helping them in, in terms of the um, vast amounts that are, are charged for, for renting um, shops and, and, and um, cafes and, and things like that in the city centre? I think it's a bit of both. You always have to be open to inward investment. You need people to want to, and businesses to want to come to Gloucester, invest in Gloucester, spend their money in Gloucester, and that is only going to benefit the people who live here. Uh, but at the same time, we have to work with with local organisations. Back in the day, there was um, an organisation that helped cooperatives to set up. There was um, investment so that you could attract capital. There were ways of, if you wanted to start a cooperative, you could bring in the money 
to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that just doesn't exist anymore. That has gone away. Um, so to, to a certain extent, we need to bring back that opportunity to access capital. I'm talking about loan guarantee schemes, so low rates underwritten by local authorities um, to support cooperatives, yep, social enterprises, small businesses. And we have to put things in our city centre that people want to come in and use. And it's about creating more community spaces as well um, and, and building out that that part of the economy. I mean, Gloucester still has its law centre, but mm-hmm. uh, the majority of, of, of those sorts of third sector organisations have gone away. Their funding's been cut. They just haven't been able to survive. And it's about rebuilding that once again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in, in regards to the, 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 f- the fourth um, uh, main point, uh, a Green New Deal for Gloucester, how long do you think it would take to transition Gloucester into becoming a, a fully carbon neutral city? Do you think it would take a year, five years, 10 years? H- how much of a long term project do you think it is? I mean, I would ideally like to see us setting a, a aim of getting there by 2030. This is an area where we really can't afford to wait around. As, as I say, climate scientists are warning that over the next few decades, large amounts of the city could be underwater. Mm-hmm. We've already seen what that could look like with with flooding over the years. Uh, flooding is an awful thing to happen to anybody. It mm-hmm. really can, can can ruin lives and ruin everything that, that people have built. Um, so it's something that we have to be really, really serious about. Um, th- this is one of those issues that we just cannot afford not to act on. Um, and, and it's a huge project as I talk about, uh, you know, all electric buses and taxis, buildings are a huge contributor uh to, to, to all of this mm-hmm. um so it really is about taking action but i think there's a positive to this as well that we can really seize we can create green new jobs uh we can tie this to the economy and actually make it a net benefit for local people so as well as fighting climate change you are also creating the jobs around that and boosting the local economy uh, so that people benefit in more than ways than one. So we, there's a lot of doom and gloom around green issues, as we all know. But I really do think that it can be linked to positive things. Uh, also, bringing, bringing the cost of energy down. We're mm. all looking at our bills every month and thinking, oh, my God, how have we got here? Um, and if you can make your energy uh, supply more secure, if you can start producing it locally, you can start grasping the opportunity that is renewable energy in its various forms, you can bring bills down. Um, particularly through through publicly owned uh, local energy providers, cooperative energy providers. There are so many fantastic progressive options that we could be using. Um, and, and I feel like Labour really does, and the Cooperative Party as well, really does have the answers to this. We just have to get in power. We just have to do it. It really could be great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd like to turn now to um, Labour's national policies and, and to just ask you where do you think Labour should um, stand in, in, in terms of national issues what, what kind of policies do you think going into the next general election the party at a national level uh, should focus on? I mean one broad theme that really struck me from from Keir Starmer's speech at Labour conference was around aspiration um and that particularly resonated with me as the as a son of immigrants um you know my dad came here from iran in the 70s in search for a better life and when he did that when he left everything his family his friends everything he knew to come to the uk and start afresh he didn't do that to come here and mess about and and he came here to work hard to contribute and to be part of society 
Uh, and I'm sure that that's the theme that many immigrants and children of immigrants will recognize. But it's it's broader than that. Everybody wants a better life for their children than they had for themselves, uh, whoever you are. And our job as the Labour Party and as Labour elected politicians is to help to provide that. I, I, I don't want anyone ever to be able to say that we're not the party of, of aspiration. And, and we really need to make that incredibly clear. It's about restoring that link between work and rewards. And one example of that is making home ownership a reality. I mean, here talks about the pebble dash two bed semi he grew up in. And that reminds me of the two up, two down that I was born in mm. and, and the source of pride that that was for my parents to be able to, to own that. And, and nowadays, you know, people of my age, I'm 30, we're all asked if we want to have children. And the question is, well, where am I going to put them? And own, owning a home big enough to fit a couple of kids is now a huge achievement and we have to to fix the broken housing market um but at the same time as uh, as supporting aspiration i think it's also about dignity not everybody is able to work for a variety of reasons um, and what we need is a really strong safety net in place to allow those people to live dignified lives and i'm heartbroken and angered to see how the tories have taken that away o- over the last 12 years people have been demonized as benefit scroungers and we need a complete rehabilitation of, of that view that there are so many people who aren't able to work but they make incredible contributions to um to, to society and to their communities and in my community work uh, I, I meet with people around the country and i see the incredible efforts they're putting in and the changes they're making for their communities and i find that so incredibly inspiring and that is just not the narrative we have when we talk about people who aren't able to work for whatever reason. So we need to restore dignity and ensure that they are able to live uh, in, in, in a proper way. And that is just not something that the Conservatives will ever do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Sebastian. Thank you very much for um, taking time out to, to speak to me. But I do have one final question for you. We're obviously recording this in the run-up to Halloween, and it's a, a, a great event for uh, many people that they in, enjoy celebrating. So my last question to you is this. If you were invited to a Halloween party that specified you had to come as a politician, who would you go to a Halloween party as? Oh, that's a really good question. I actually have uh, a true story. Oh which I'm now even hesitating to tell you (laughs) um, because it does involve crossing the divide. Uh, But I was once very late for a Halloween party. I didn't have a costume at all. Um, And all I could find for my absolute sins at the back of my drawer uh, was a pair of red trousers. (laughs) And so I whipped them on. I went to the party and I said, hi, I've come as Michael Portillo. (laughs) And... uh, yeah, that that's probably an insight into my my character that you didn't want. But uh, there we go. That's that's what happens when I I panic. Um, so yeah, sorry, no vampires, no ghosts, uh, just Michael Portillo. <laughs> if, if if you were choosing to 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 to, to go to one and, and weren't having to improvise like that, is is there anybody that you would particularly want to go as? Because you were sort of forced to go as Portillo a bit, weren't you? <laughs> I was. That's a very good question. Um, I mean, Jacob Ruiz Mog would be would be a good one. Why am I going for the Tories here? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're they're the Halloween characters, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. It's, it, it's got to be somebody. From, yeah, it's one of the greatest horrors. Uh, sadly, they're they're walking on our earth more than one one day a year, uh, and very much making their presence felt. 
uh, our, our, our good uh, conservative MPs. <laughs> but um, yes, it's a tough call, isn't it? It's a mm-hmm. tough call. Um, well, with, with a few days to go, who knows what I'll pull out of the bag? Who knows what I'll find at the back of my drawer this time? Yeah, who knows? Who knows indeed? Thank you once again uh, for coming on the podcast, Sebastian. If people want to find out more about you and about your campaign, where should they go to find that out? Uh, so I think my website, great place to start. So I'm sebastiansarlek.com. That's S-A-L-E-K is my surname. Um, and I'm on Twitter as at Sebastian Salek as well. So do take a look, do have a chat. If you're in Gloucester, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear your ideas about what you want to see from our, our next Labour MP. Um, it really is about reflecting you in all of this so do get in touch fantastic thank you once again for coming on the podcast thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast if you've enjoyed it you can subscribe to us on itunes spotify podbeam and amazon music you can also follow us on twitter at debated podcast like us on facebook debated podcast and if you'd like to get in touch with us whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to you can do so at the debated podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.